Tradition. The famous opening number from the musical Fiddler on the Roof is titled Tradition. And in it, uh, the main character, Tevya, explains the traditional roles of various groups and individuals in their Jewish community in the Russian village of Anatevka. And near the beginning of the song, Tevya kind of gives this explanation where he says, here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything, how to eat, how to sleep, even how to wear clothes. For instance, he says, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition start? I'll tell you. I don't know, but it's a tradition. <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof, uh, if you've seen it, uh, it, it kind of explores this dynamic of trying to hold on to certain traditions in the midst of a changing society. And although it, it, it takes place um, way back in, in the last century, I think this is a dynamic that every generation can sort of relate to, that we all grow up with certain traditions that we value and we also grow up maybe with certain traditions that we don't appreciate all that much. And we are all faced with the question as we grow up, whether to hold on to certain traditions or to let them go. And so the question is, how do we make those decisions about what we do with traditions? Well, in today's text, Jesus is actually going to talk about some of the traditions that were present in his day. Uh, we're continuing in our summer sermon series, Walking with Jesus, um, looking at the Gospel of Mark. And in today's text, we're going to see that part of what walking with Jesus means is that it impacts how we view traditions in our lives, even traditions in our, our faith. And so my sermon title today is Examining Traditions. We're going to see how Jesus examined certain traditions in his day and what that can teach us about how we can examine traditions in our lives, in our day today, too. So our text today is Mark chapter 7. We're continuing kind of where we left off last week at the end of chapter 6. We're moving into sort of a new section here in Mark chapter 7, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. So hear God's word to us this morning. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. In parentheses, Mark makes this note. He says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. 
You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many things like that. Let's pray. Lord, as we hear your word um, proclaimed to us, we pray that you would um, open it up to us, Lord Holy Spirit, speak through your word, give us ears to hear, help us to understand what, what Jesus was doing, he was saying to the Pharisees and the scribes about traditions and we pray that we would um, allow that to speak into our own lives as we think about traditions that we may hold as well. And so uh, speak to us now, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this idea of examining traditions in um, our text and also in our lives, I want to start by actually looking at why we form traditions. Why is it that we create traditions in the first place? Well, I think that, that a primary reason why we form traditions is to give specificity and form identity. I'm going to unpack that for you um, to show you kind of what I mean by this. Take a look at this picture. What holiday comes to mind from that photo? Fourth of July, right? Independence Day. We just celebrated it last month. In our nation, we have certain traditions around the 4th of July that you can kind of see in this picture, right? What one tradition is, we set off fireworks. We display the American flag. For some people, part of the tradition of the 4th of July is having a barbecue, grilling some burgers and hot dogs. Um, now, what do these traditions do? They give specificity to the question, how should we celebrate our nation's independence? Right, so we, have a, we want to celebrate our, our nation's independence. How do we do that? Well, we have these traditions. So you, you, you do these certain things. You sing these certain songs. You, know, you can think about any holiday, right? Christmas, full of traditions, right? Things that we do. And that sometimes the traditions might vary depending on your particular cultural background too. But we all have these traditions around certain things. And, and these traditions, they also form identity, as we follow these traditions together, they, they create a sense of identity. So with the 4th of July, we do these things. Why? Because we are Americans. It forms a sense of identity as we do these things together. So why we form traditions is often to give specificity to a certain idea and to form identity. Now, when we turn to our text today, we hear about a particular tradition that was practiced in the Jewish community at the time of Jesus. So as I mentioned, Mark, in this, in this passage, in verses 3 and 4, he kind of gives this parenthesis to explain this particular Jewish tradition. So just to read it again for you, to get it in our, our, our minds, he says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. He goes on to say, When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. 
Now, Mark, um, the, the gospel writer here, he was very likely writing his gospel to a predominantly Gentile or non-Jewish audience, which is why he includes this explanation for people who were not familiar with what, what the Jewish community did in terms of these ceremonial washing. And you know what? It's a great thing that he did that because it helps us out 2,000 years later to understand what's going on with this whole thing about washing, washing hands. It's not about cleanliness. It's not about sanitary. It's about, it's a ceremonial sort of thing. So this tradition of ceremonial washing, it was formed for the very same reasons we talked about with the 4th of July or other holidays we celebrate. It gave specificity to something and it helped to form identity in their community. Let me explain how that is. In, in ancient Israel, way back in the Old Testament, God gave certain laws to his people, right? And, he, and some of those laws set the people of Israel apart from any other nation. And some of those, um, those laws that God gave were about being ceremonially clean or ceremonially pure. But what happened was, over time, the Jewish people began to add additional traditions, additional rules that kind of added on to what God actually gave in the Old Testament. And so these additional rules and traditions gave more specificity to the question of how do we remain ceremonially clean? How do we remain ceremonially pure? And the, the, the traditions were not given by God. So that make that right. You hear, you see the difference, right? God gave certain laws in the Old Testament. These are the things you're to do. But then the people began to add additional traditions, additional rules, saying in order to follow these laws, let's do these other things to make sure that we're really clean, that we're really pure. And so, for as an example of this, God's law does say that the priests who engaged in service at the tabernacle or later the temple that they needed to wash their hands ceremonially, to be ceremonially clean. That, that's in Exodus 30. And in Numbers 18, we learn that the priests needed to wash before eating portions of the sacrifices that they were allowed to eat. So God's law tells the priests they should do this. But these God-given laws for the priests were expanded to say, not just the priests need to do this, but now everyone needs to do this. Everyone needs to wash their hands ceremonially before you eat anything before you eat food. Um, and they were all expected to follow this. Now, I want you to note, notice that the original intention of these expanded traditions was actually not a bad thing because what, what, what the people were wanting to do was to take the attitude of honor and respect for God that the priests showed in the temple and actually bring that into the home to say, we should honor God, we should worship God even in our homes before we eat a meal. Um, and so this tradition, its original intention was to bring specificity to the question, how do we honor God when we approach eating our meal? And one of the ways they answered that was to say, we should wash, have the ceremonial washing of our hands. And it was intended to form identity, right? That we are God's people. We eat differently than the Gentiles out here. So tradition, right, you see how it's, it's creating specificity, it's creating identity. Now, we actually do the same thing often as Christians. Think about that. We take God's word, right, that God's given us these certain instructions, and we take that and we form traditions that are intended to give specificity to how we're to live and to help us 
have identity as Christians, that, that we're different in certain ways from those who, who don't follow Jesus. So as an example, what do we do often before eating a meal as Christians? We don't do ceremonial washing of our hands, but we often pray before we eat, right? Now, God's word tells us to pray, commands us to pray. It doesn't specifically say you have to pray before every meal, right? But this is a tradition that we have kind of formed to give specificity. When should we pray? Well, one good time to pray is to pray before we eat, to pray, to give thanks to God for the meal that he's given to us, for the food that he's provided for us. And, and, and praying before a meal is a way to, to have a sense of our identity as children of God, right? That, that it forms us that we are children of our father, our father who gives us good gifts. And so we thank him for it, for his provision for us. Here's another example. God's word tells us to gather together as believers and to sing songs of praise, right? There's, com there's commands in the, in the scriptures, sing a song of praise to the Lord, right? Don't give up meeting together. Um, and, and uh, to hear God's word proclaimed. And so over 2,000 years, Christians have taken those broad instructions and have developed particular traditions of how to do that, right? We've developed certain traditions of, to give specificity to how we are to gather together, how we are to sing songs of praise, how we are to hear God's word. And, and, and doing that helps form our identity as Christians. So for us here in our church, 59th Street, we, what do we do? We gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in this building, right? Or on Zoom. <laughs> and, and what do we do when we gather here? We sing songs, right? We sing some traditional songs accompanied by the organ. We sing some more contemporary songs accompanied by the guitar or the piano. Um, I preach a sermon for you behind a pulpit. And we give tithes and offerings when we gather. Now, are all those things, things that God says, you have to do all those things exactly like that in, his, in the word? No, right? These are traditions, right? They're traditions, things that we have developed over time to give specificity to the broad commands to gather, to praise God, to hear God's word, right? So I hope you see that, you, that you see that traditions in themselves, they're not necessarily good or bad, Right? They can be really good. They, they, can, they often are developed and created for very good reasons to help us live out the things that God has told us to do, right? They can be very helpful. But at the same time, there is a danger with traditions. There's a danger with traditions. And that's the next point I want to turn to, which is the danger of traditions, because um, in our text, what we find is that the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law um, who have come down from Jerusalem, that they want to check out this, this, this teacher, Jesus. And they come around Jesus, and they notice something, that Jesus' disciples are not following the tradition. They are not, they're eating their food with hands that were ceremonially unclean. They hadn't performed the ceremonial washing that they were supposed to do. And so in verse five, they ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? So they are bothered by the fact that Jesus' disciples were not following this particular tradition, right? Was this tradition something that God told them to do? No, right? It's a human tradition, right? It was built up outside of what the priests were supposed to do. And, but they're upset about this, that Jesus' disciples are not following the tradition. And, and the, the Pharisees as a group were very strict 
about following all these additional rules and traditions that had developed within Judaism. Now, when Jesus hears their question, right, why aren't your disciples doing this? How does he respond? He has a very strong response. Hear his response in verses six through eight. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So in this response, Jesus is highlighting one of the dangers of traditions, which is that traditions can become rigid and elevated to an inappropriate place. Traditions can become rigid and elevated to an inappropriate place. Here, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29, the passage that, that Dennis read earlier as our scripture reading. And he says that the Pharisees' hearts are far from God, that they are, they're following these traditions, they're emphasizing these traditions, but their hearts are not in it. Their hearts are far from God. And, and what he says is that they've let go of the commands of God and they're holding on to the traditions of men. So they care more about these human man-made traditions than they do actually about God's actual law, God's word. They've elevated these traditions to an inappropriate place. Now, one commentator I was reading uh, on this passage, what he did, it was a really helpful illustration. He, he compares this idea of tradition to the shell of a blue crab. So a blue crab, he writes about this, this blue crab. He says, to live and grow, it must shed its shell from time to time. Until it creates a new shell, the crab is extremely vulnerable. But if the shell becomes so strong and rigid that the crab cannot escape, that is the shell in which it dies. So a crab needs to shed its shell from time to time, right? And if it doesn't, it gets rigid and strong and it's going to die. So he, the, the commentator goes on and says this, losing traditions that make one feel safe and comfortable can cause great anxiety, right? Like that, 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 that crowd that loses its shell for a period of time, it's vulnerable. We like our traditions and if it gets taken away, we feel trapped. But he goes on to say, but hanging on to traditions so that one becomes hard shelled is fatal. Earlier, I talked about how as Christians, we often create traditions for our worship service, right? And it's fine to have traditions, but there's a natural tendency to get attached to certain traditions and we, then we don't want to change them. And they can become rigid and we can even then begin to elevate them to an inappropriate place. So this can happen in all kinds of different ways, right? It can happen with the music that we sing, where we, where we always wanna sing the music that we grew up with. We wanna sing the music that we're comfortable with because we, that's our tradition. We love those particular songs, right? Um, it can happen with the way that our worship space looks. Right, that we have certain expectations that, it, that a church needs to look a certain way right up in the, the stage. And, and, and that's, we can't mess with that. It can happen with the way that we think people should dress when they come to church. 
that you have to wear a certain kind of clothing when you come to worship. Right? Some people have those traditions, or it can happen in a lot of different ways, right? With these different traditions that we can sometimes cling to. And if we're not careful, we can become like the Pharisees, where we criticize and judge anyone who doesn't do things the way that we do, who doesn't do things the way that we think they should be done, who want to change certain traditions. But Jesus makes it very clear in this passage, traditions are man-made. They're human. And sometimes traditions need to change, like that blue crowd, right? Sometimes you need to sh shed part of the shell for a good reason, right? And if you get too rigid, you're going to die. Sometimes we need to, to change our traditions. In fact, sometimes Jesus goes on to say that traditions can actually get in the way of following God's word. And sometimes our traditions can actually block or get in the way of following God's word. That's the second danger that Jesus highlights about tradition in this passage. So in the second part of our passage, verses 8 to 13, Jesus talks about this other tradition at the time. Maybe when I read it, you were a little bit confused about this whole, like this word korban. What's, what's Jesus talking about here? Let me try to break it down. So a person at the time of Jesus, they could designate a portion of their possessions or their property as korban, which is a word that just means a gift devoted to God, right? So they say, this part of my possessions, I'm devoting it to God. And, and if he did this though, then he, you could not use that particular property or possessions for anything else has been devoted to God. That includes even helping your parents. And so this is the particular situation that Jesus highlights in verses 11 and 12, because what it seems to be the case is that there were some people at that time who were using this korban tradition as a way to get out of helping their parents. They would say, sorry, mom and dad, I dedicated all this stuff to God, so I can't help you. And, and there was a, a part of the tradition was that actually, you didn't actually have to give that stuff to the temple. You could just say it's dedicated to God. And what was happening was that the Pharisees were actually backing up this sort of practice, that they were more concerned with the keeping of this korban vow than the clear command in scripture to honor your father and mother. Is the korban vow something that God commands? No. Is honoring your father and mother something God commands? Yes. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? And so Jesus says in verse 13, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. He says that this tradition that you're following, you're misusing it and you're actually using it to avoid following God's clear law, God's clear command to honor your father and mother. The same thing can happen today. One of God's clearest commands in scripture is to love your neighbor as yourself. But sometimes our traditions can get in the way of loving our neighbor. You know, sometimes Christians can get very worried about associating too much with worldly things or places or people because of the fear of being negatively influenced by those, those influences. And so we can sometimes create traditions and rules that try to guard against that kind of influence, kind of like 
with the, with the Pharisees were doing, like, you got to make sure you're clean, right? You got all these cleanliness rules to keep away from those dirty Gentiles out there, right? We can sometimes do that, something similar, even in the church. Um, some of you have even shared with me how when you were growing up, um, even in this church decades ago, um, that there were rules that, that you had to follow, right? Like, don't dance, don't go to the movie theater, right? Don't go to bars, right? There are all these, these rules outside of, right? don't do these things in order to keep people away from the possible worldly influence, right? But the problem is some of those rules, they can prevent us from actually loving certain neighbors, um, from sharing the gospel even with certain people. Here's an example of this. I was reading a book, um, this book, The Tangible Kingdom. And in this book, Hugh Halter, who's the author, he tells a story about a time when he was leading a seminar um, in New York City. And, and as he was here in New York, um, each evening, he and a couple of other uh, people, part of the seminar, they would go to dinner at an Irish pub in Queens. And they got to know the wait staff there. And one of the waitresses named Fiona began to share about her religious upbringing in Northern Ireland. And she seemed to have some faith in God, kind of a general faith, but she did not like Protestants or Catholics or the church because of her experience. And she didn't have any, want to have anything to do with the church or Christians, right? Well, one, one night, the very last night before Hugh Halter was about to fly back home, he went back to that same pub and as he made his way through the crowd, he heard Fiona calling to two bartenders. And he said, you got to come meet this guy. This is the guy I was telling you about. You've got to hear how he talks about God. And, and over the course of the next few hours, Hugh got to share some of his story, got to listen to theirs. And eventually, everybody had cleared out. Everybody had left the pub except a few waitresses, the bartenders, and the owner. And they all sat with Hugh around the table and just kept on asking him question after question after question about his faith, about Jesus, right? And Hugh Halter writes this in his book. He says, their questions were so sincere, their anger so justified. Yes, they were jaded too, but their intrigue with me seemed honest and open. I knew I couldn't talk about church. I knew I couldn't share the four spiritual laws or even tell them that I was a pastor. I just talked about the only thing I knew they might like, Jesus, and the alternative world he called the kingdom of God. They loved it just as much as I did and lapped it up like hungry pups. When it was time to part, they all hugged me and let me pray for them. And then I left. Now, Hugh never would have met Fiona and her friends if he had followed a tradition that says Christians should never go to pubs, right? Never would have met them. He never would have had the chance to tell them about Jesus if he had worried about, uh oh, what might Christians think if I go have dinner at a pub, right? The tradition can sometimes prevent us from actually following God's command to love our neighbor. Now, here's the thing. It's a lot easier to 
to actually follow a bunch of rules and traditions, especially rules that say, don't do this, don't go there, don't talk to those people, right? Oh, it's all laid out. Okay, we're not going to do those things. It's easier to follow those kinds of traditions and rules than actually following God's commands like love your neighbor, honor your father and mother, love your enemy, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Those things you can't just sort of say, oh, I did that, check it off the list, right? Oh, they're, they're actually a lot harder. They're, there's more weight to God's commands than just these traditions. I think one of the appeals of traditions is that we can wrap our, our hands around them, that we can control them, that, that, that we say, hey, I can follow those traditions. I can do all those things. And then we get to be the ones who judge other people for not keeping those traditions, just like the Pharisees were doing with Jesus' disciples. We can feel pretty self-righteous about keeping our traditions and pretty judgmental against people who are not keeping them. But with God's law, guess what? None of us can fully satisfy it. We're all judged by it. And so it makes sense that the Pharisees, they wanted to avoid the impossible demand of God's law and just say, we're going to follow these traditions and enforce them strictly. And, and we're going to show that we're really great because we follow all these traditions. And Jesus says, their hearts are far from God because of that. There's a similar danger for us in that way. So what's the solution to all of this? Well, the solution is not just to throw out all traditions, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying here. And it's also not to just say, well, then we got to really try hard to keep God's law perfectly instead of these human traditions. No, the solution actually has nothing to do with anything that we do. The solution has to do with what Jesus has already done for us. So the solution is the freedom of the gospel. The freedom of the gospel. Because the gospel, what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, it frees us from the danger of traditions, but it also frees us to follow certain traditions if we choose to. It frees us from the impossible demands of the law, but it also frees us to follow God's law. The gospel actually is the thing that can bring freedom in the midst of all these questions about tradition and God's law. How is that? How is the gospel the solution to what we've been talking about this morning? The gospel proclaims this. Your value, your acceptance comes from what Jesus has done for you what he says about you, not anything about what you have done. Right? That's the gospel. We're accepted and loved by God, not because we've done a lot of great things, but because Jesus has died for us, because Jesus calls us his children. It doesn't come from keeping traditions. Right? That's not where we get our acceptance from. And it also doesn't come from showing that we're better than other people who don't follow certain traditions. And it also, though, doesn't come from keeping God's law, which we can't do. Our value and acceptance comes from the fact that Jesus kept the law perfectly for us, that he died for our sin, 
that he rose again. So now we're justified. We are declared righteous and acceptable to God because of Jesus, not because of anything that we've done. So guess what? There is now no need to keep certain traditions because we're free from any man-made obligations, right? So if you feel burdened, like you have to keep all these traditions, guess what? Jesus says, no, you don't have to. You're free. Jesus has fulfilled the law for you. You are accepted solely because of Christ. You don't have to follow any traditions. At the same time, though, when we realize that, we may want to follow certain traditions, not because we have to, not because we're trying to earn something from God, not because we're trying to show that we're better than other people, but we may follow certain traditions because they're helpful to us, because they might help us connect more to God, like praying before meals, like gathering for worship every Sunday morning, like following certain spiritual practices, certain spiritual traditions. But we don't need to condemn other people who are not following the same traditions that we are. Right? Because the gospel frees them in the same way that it frees us. And we can hold loosely to those traditions too. We can, we can change them if we need to, right? Because our identity comes from Christ, not from following the tradition. This morning, we have the opportunity to partake of communion or the Lord's Supper together. And when we come to communion, we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge that we need Jesus' forgiveness again. And today, what I want to ask you to think about as we, as we head into communion is to think about, is there any sin that you may need to confess around this area of traditions? There's something that God's maybe been convicting you about, maybe in your own heart as you think about some of these things. Have you maybe elevated a particular tradition to an inappropriate place? Have you judged other people for not following a particular tradition? Have you criticized those who, who maybe have suggested to maybe change a particular tradition that you value? Have you held on to a particular tradition or rule so that it's actually gotten in the way of following God's law, God's word? Have you become self-righteous about following a particular tradition? If something comes to mind as you think about those, those questions, don't ignore it. Don't try to justify it. Simply confess it to God. Repent of it. Say, God, <laughs> I recognize that, that I have been putting these traditions in an inappropriate place. I've been, I've been thinking about them more, more even than, than your clear command to love my neighbor, to go and make disciples. Confess it, repent of it. And as you do, hear the good news that your acceptance and value, it doesn't come from how well you keep any tradition, but it also doesn't come from how well you avoid the dangers of traditions either. So if you recognize that you've been falling into that, that, that trap that the Pharisees were in, guess what? You're forgiven. You confess that sin to the Lord for God to forgive you in that area, know that you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are free. And as you hear that good news, as you even taste it in communion that we're gonna do in a minute, 
know that you are free. You are free from tradition. You're free from the demands of the law. Your acceptance comes from Christ alone. And also now, brothers and sisters, we are free to embrace the traditions that God may lead us to, to embrace. And we are free to follow God's law that is good for us, not to earn anything from him, but because it's for our good, to love our neighbor, to make disciples, to follow Jesus in our lives as the Holy Spirit empowers you and leads you into it. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, we confess that, that we are often like the Pharisees, that we can sometimes get caught up in particular traditions, per particular ways that, that we've gotten used to doing certain things, and, and that we can even begin to judge others who don't do it exactly like us. Sometimes even our, our, our following traditions, worrying about cleanliness, and these they can actually get in the way of what you're calling us to do, which is to go and love our neighbors and to to make disciples of all nations and to reach out to people who around us in our community who, who may not follow traditions at all like we might follow them. Help us not, Lord, to get caught up in the minutia of these traditions that it prevents us from actually being your witnesses, actually loving people around us who are very different from us. So forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have fallen into the same trap. Help us to see that we are free from the obligation of traditions that we are also free if we have gotten bogged down. That we're forgiven. You forgive us and you call us to follow you again. And, and then we begin to see that, that, that there might be certain traditions that we can enjoy and embrace and feel free to change and just to follow your spirit as you lead us, Lord. So do that. Give us a sense of your freedom. Give us a sense of, of, of your grace you've given to us. And help us now as we enter into, uh, the, as we sing this song of response and as we prepare to, take communion to, to have that spirit of, of confessing our sin, asking you to clean us again, Lord, to give us clean hands, and that we would be a generation that seeks your face, that seeks to follow you in every area of our lives, even as we trust in the fact that we are free, that we are forgiven because of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.